Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C., Tensions are extraordinarily high on Capitol Hill as Republicans and Democrats look to complete a deal on this $2 trillion stimulus package in the works. What once looked like it could have been smooth sailing, of course, has met the reality of Washington, where nothing is truly smooth sailing. So Mitch McConnell is the Senate majority leader and railing against Democrats for slowing this down and playing partisan politics. It's time for that good faith to be reciprocated. It's time for Democrats to stop playing politics and step up to the plate. While his counterpart, the minority leader Chuck Schumer, says it's McConnell that's actually playing politics. Leader McConnell continues to set arbitrary vote deadlines when the matter of real importance is the status of the bipartisan negotiations. They are in good faith negotiations. The Democrats are with the administration, with their Republican counterparts, and they want to make sure to put in some protections for workers, for taxpayers into this $2 trillion spending bill. This is all happening while we learn that a member of the United States Senate, Rand Paul, the first member to say that he has tested positive for coronavirus. So this is the backdrop upon which all of this is happening now. To discuss and delve into where we are in the economic battle that Congress is fighting right now, we have two great guests joining me in moments to break down the ripple effects on the economy and how the stimulus plan can help will be CNN economics commentator and Washington Post opinion columnist, Catherine Rampell. But first, for the latest on the tense negotiations on Capitol Hill, we're joined by CNN congressional correspondent Phil Mattingly. Phil, uh, Mitch McConnell just tried again uh, to do this procedural vote. It failed again. I guess Democrat Doug Jones, the most vulnerable incumbent Democrat, uh, actually sided with uh, the Republicans this time. So it wasn't a complete wall of Democratic opposition. But still, it does seem that in these really important moments, Washington is just playing politics as usual, no? Yeah, I, I think at least publicly, right? What you're seeing and what we've seen over the course of the last 24 hours has been a combination of gamesmanship and uh, political leverage, right? And you've seen Senate Republicans, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell try and move forward on, on just procedural votes. These votes aren't on the actual bill itself, aren't on the nearly $2 trillion package. This is just to move forward to consider that package. And Democrats have blocked him on both opportunities up to this point in an effort to try and extract more concessions in the negotiation right now. And I think that's the most important point. What you're seeing publicly, and look, you've seen a lot of frustration, almost palpable frustration from Republicans over the course of the last two days, is not necessarily what matters. What's happening behind closed doors is what really matters. And that's where we've seen really over the course of the last day or two, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, Eric Ulin, the top legislative affairs advisor at the White House, kind of wear out a path between Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer's office and the office of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell bringing proposals back and forth and back and forth, trying to bridge some very real gaps. And I think the reality is at this moment is they're very close. I would caveat
caveat that with they've been very close about 16 or 17 times over the last four days or so. Phil, you said there are very real gaps. Can you give what is the biggest gap at this point? Is it the accountability of that $500 billion slush fund? Yeah, so I, I would say there's two there's two significant issues right now. And with one more caveat that there's a this is an immense bill, right? This is the, the biggest emergency funding package probably in the history of the United States. I can almost say with certainty it is. And, and so there's a lot of extraneous items here that, that are difficult to close out. We've seen a lot of from both sides kind of personal political policy issues that they want to get in, trying to kind of sneak them in to some degree. Those have caused some problems as well. The two biggest issues by far are a $500 billion uh, fund for loans and loan guarantees to go to distressed companies. Uh, A lot of it would go to airlines, but also distressed industries, think cruise industry, think transportation industry, think hospitality industry, would be able to tap into these loans uh, to be able to kind of save themselves in this current moment of almost economic freeze. Democrats are very upset the way that was structured initially. They're very upset that there are not Uh, There is not a lot of oversight. There is an enormous amount of leeway given to the Treasury Secretary in terms of who would get the loans, how they would get the loans, when those companies that got the loans would actually be reported. All of those things are major issues that Democrats want addressed before they agree to sign on to anything. The other one, and it's been kind of under the radar, but I'm told it's almost just as important, is how states and localities get money through this bill. Um, There is money in the the proposal that uh, that is currently being considered for states and localities. Democrats don't like how that money, the mechanism used to actually deploy that money. They're worried about um, whether smaller states are disadvantaged based on how that money would be deployed, kind of how that money goes out. And so those are the two primary issues right now that they're trying to resolve. And again, I'm told they're pretty close on both. Um, but but those have been the big outstanding issues. So, Phil, before I let you go, I, so I get it that you're saying there's a difference between what we're seeing in front of the cameras and on the Senate floor with speeches from the leaders versus what's happening behind the scenes. But who needs to be called out here? Like, are both sides just playing politics? Or is this uh, the fault of one party more than the other that we are not moving forward yet? Like, or is I don't know which way to go here. Like, does somebody need to be held to account for the inaction at the moment? I think, as is always the case here, it's not black and white. You know, Democrats are upset that McConnell, they feel like McConnell short-circuited what had been days of bipartisan negotiations by deciding to instruct his team to finish writing the bill on their own without full Democratic agreement. And Republicans are, if I can say this on your show, just absolutely pissed that Democrats have blocked these two procedural votes that, again, are just procedural votes, aren't on actual substance. I think the, the issue right now is... I think both sides acknowledge, and this is kind of where I come from at it, and I don't mean to be sanguine about it, both sides acknowledge that this has to get done today, right? There needs to be a deal today. This needs to pass the United States Senate today, and I think both sides hope the House will also accept it as soon as possible. They're looking at the economy. They're looking at unemployment claims. They're looking at companies that are laying off workers, not by the thousands, not by the tens of thousands, but by the millions right now, and there's a recognition that this needs to get done, and I think I I wrote about this a couple days ago where we kind of, we, we were entering the legislative slog portion of things. It's just never clean and easy, and there are fingers to be pointed at both sides, and to be frank, both sides deserve some blame from this, and I'm not trying to do both sides-ism. <laughs> I've just been through enough of these. Um, but I think that the end game here is going to be reached. Uh, I think that it's Congress, so they're going to ensure that everything is as painful as humanly possible before they actually get to that point. Congress is being Congress. That is the headline here. There's no doubt about it, but there is no doubt. Talking to folks on Capitol Hill, you are right. The urgency is clear to everyone, and it's why I think you still hear, despite all the 
acrimony that may exist, you hear from both sides that they really believe a deal is going to get done and it's going to get done today. So let, let's uh, hope for the sake of the economy, the public health aspects of this bill, that this does get done uh, as quickly as possible. Phil, thanks so much for your insights. Thanks for having me. And now joining us is Catherine Rampell, CNN economics commentator. Catherine, thanks so much for being here. Good to be here. So I I was intrigued by the way you put it in your column this morning uh, on WashingtonPost.com, where you said um, Congress has uh, sort of dual goals here. They want to spend swiftly and they want to spend wisely. Are those two things uh, truly intention? They are somewhat intention, right? I mean, you want money to get out the door as quickly as possible to as many people as possible. The problem uh, with that, of course, is that it's going to end up to some people who don't need it. It may end up in the pockets of friends, cronies, of the people who are deciding where that money goes. So there is this sort of trade-off in designing a stimulus between flexibility on the one hand and accountability on the other hand. And, and that's really what Democrats and, Re- and Republicans are uh, fighting about right now. Now, it's not as if the Republicans are entirely opposed to accountability, are they? No, and, and I don't think that either side is, um, you know, I don't want to care. I don't want to overly caricature. I think that the the right way to explain it is that Republicans want fewer strings attached. Democrats want more strings attached. Uh, however, some of the things that Republicans have asked for, particularly at the request, it seems, of um, the Treasury Secretary and the White House, are um, unprecedented. Right. We've done stimulus bills before. We have never done one of this magnitude. So that part is different. So maybe you could argue that the contours of whatever we would come up with would be different. But what this uh, administration and Senate Republicans have asked for in the bill that failed a procedural vote last night, in any event, was in addition to money going out to households and uh, lending going out to small businesses, there would be this sort of $500 billion slush fund, uh, as it has been called. And the reason why it's been called a slush fund is essentially that there are almost no preconditions required uh, for who can receive this money. There's some portion of it that's earmarked for airlines, for air cargo carriers and undefined uh, national security companies or companies that are critical to national security. But then there's another $425 billion of it that can go to anyone whom the Treasury Secretary deems eligible. And he has enormous discretion in the way this is designed, right? Unprecedented discretion. Everyone that I've spoken with who has looked at how the TARP bailout, that was the, uh, you know, the initial bailout from the financial crisis, how that was designed, how the Stimulus Act, um, the the Recovery Act was designed, uh, I guess that was in early 2009 when that passed. Um, You know, this is, this is, so unprecedented. A single member of the administration has never been given quite this much latitude to decide who gets the money. And beyond that, it's not just that the Treasury Secretary has wide latitude to decide what companies get the money. He doesn't actually have to disclose what companies get the money for six months. Again, this is in the legislation that failed last night. So, you know, things are still fluid. Maybe they'll back off. We don't know. But th- this idea that a uh, a single cabinet member basically could just give away $425 billion uh, worth of loans and loan guarantees as he sees fit without any sort of um, disclosure 
seems pretty wild. Now, is that lack of disclosure, Catherine? Because I believe that was in place in some of uh, TARP as well. You said the financial bailout to try and uh, prevent a run on a company, a financial company that uh, admits in public uh, in real time that they have uh, applied for assistance and then that could further complicate problems. Although this is not a financial uh, sector crisis as much necessarily. So would that kind of uh, disclosure fear really be in place here, needed here as well? Well, there were some other checks on um, on how the TARP funds were distributed, including that there was a congressional oversight panel that was created. There was a special inspector general um, whose position was created to deal with oversight issues. I don't remember how long the disclosure uh, was delayed under TARP, but I don't think it was as long. Um, so, you know, this idea that they can keep secret and have all of this power vested in a single individual, I think is what's what's troubling here. And look, yeah. any any administration should be subject to oversight, right? I mean, that's how our founding fathers designed this whole republic, that there are checks and balances. But this administration in particular, I think, has kind of lost the benefit of the doubt to be able to behave without any oversight or disclosure because there have been prior incidents where the administration has either um, tried or succeeded um, in using the levers of power to reward perceived friends and punish perceived enemies using antitrust, using government procurement, etc. So there, and, and beyond that, of course, President Trump was asked himself at the press conference last night, uh, Sunday night, um, whether he would commit to not receiving this this uh, rescue money that, again, his own Treasury secretary would get to allocate under the, the plan that they had been um, pushing for, and he would not do so. He said something to the effect of, well, let's just see how things work out. Will you commit publicly that none of that taxpayer money will go towards your own personal well, yeah, property? Every time I do it, like, for instance, I committed publicly that I wouldn't take the $450,000 salary, and I did it. Nobody cared. So I've learned, let's just see what happens, because uh, we have to save some of these great companies. They can be great companies literally in a matter of weeks. We have to save them. So there are reasons to be concerned about having some checks and balances always. They are especially true now. And the idea that there would be basically, you know, not a, not a blank check, but something close to a blank check that would be, um, or at least a 500 billion dollar check uh, with few <laughs> strings attached, I think does raise some concerns. But yeah, that's totally fair. And as you said, it really is true for every administration should have oversight. That is exactly how uh, our system was designed. And uh, I guess my question to you is, so as Democrats seek to put in these, um, you know, both sort of taxpayer protections, if you will, in place to make sure that this is run in a way that is responsible with taxpayers' money, um, but also to ensure that companies who are going to receive these government benefits um, are not just taking care of stockholders, but also ensuring that their workers are taking care of. Those seem to be sort of the philosophical uh, pushes from the Democrats in these final hours of negotiations. I should note just before we started recording, Senator Schumer said uh, that he is actually confident a deal will be reached today. Now we're working on all these items in good faith as we speak, and we hope and expect 
to conclude negotiations today. It didn't sound to me like Democrats were trying to uh, drag this on. They understand, it seems, as the Republicans do, the need for speed here. Uh, but as you said, just don't want it to be a completely blank check, which which just comes to my question for you, which is, you've referenced TARP a couple times. Are there lessons to be learned? Because that was such a fundamental change in our politics, Catherine, like the way that that TARP bailout was both perceived by the public and then sort of weaponized and employed politically from people on both sides of the aisle. A lot of the populist movements in our politics we saw sort of grow out of that on the left and the right. And I'm wondering, are there lessons to be learned from TARP that can be applied here? I think there are a few lessons. So there are some key ways in which TARP was different, obviously, from what we are discussing today, because the stimulus measure that we're talking about today, to be clear, does have money going out to individuals, to smaller businesses, to Main Street. And one of the chief criticisms of TARP was this perception anyway that it was helping uh, Wall Street at the expense of everyone else. Now, the way that the financial system works is that, yes, it may have felt sort of morally repugnant to um, to to. Uh, help out the arsonists, basically, who had lit themselves on fire. Um, In fact, if we had let Wall Street go under, that would have dragged down the rest of the economy um, for for much longer, frankly, than than the seemingly interminable length that it was dragged down uh, initially. But in any case, the optics are are somewhat different because there is money going out, of course, to um, more directly to... uh, the constituents that presumably politicians care about, right? The voters, um, and, and as well as smaller businesses. So you don't have qu- quite as much that obstacle. Although, of course, if there are bailouts that go to airline companies, to cruise companies, to uh, to other major firms that end up just giving that money to their shareholders rather than committing in some respect to keeping their workers on their payrolls, you could still see that sort of populist backlash, which is why you have to think about these trade-offs we were talking about, right? right? You know, how many conditions do you put on? So in the final seconds I have with you, Catherine, which is more important right now, do you think, speed or wisdom in how this money gets out the door? Um, I think there's a way maybe to split the difference, which is to give the Treasury Secretary power to get out a lot of money quickly with fewer strings attached and then hand over responsibility to some sort of, you know, outside panel of experts, Senate confirmed, who think about those complicated trade-offs later on and what conditions, if any, should be imposed. So um, I, I think we need money out the door quickly and then we can kind of fine-tune Um, how we make sure that it gets in the right hands, how it's not abused. Catherine Rampell, CNN economics commentator, Washington Post opinion columnist. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. A special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.